0: Good
1: morning, church. It's my privilege to read um, to you guys from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 to 17. This is God's beautiful word. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried, And the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer, she is willing to live and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. This is God's word.
0: Thanks, Shelley for reading for us before uh, before we pray this morning uh, just want to recognize that as we jump into a topic like this which is really a follow-on from the last couple of weeks in a similar similar theme um, that this is this is kind of uh, it's it's heavy it's also very deeply personal um, it's there's there's a lot of emotion and, and um, real-life experience and messiness attached with all of this. And so my prayer all week has just been that I would uh, be able to communicate from the Scriptures this morning the heart of the Father for us in these topics to, to um, what, his, what his heart and his desire is for us. Um, and when Our prayer team has been praying for um, that um a whole heap of things for those for whom this is challenging and difficult, that you hear God's good news for you and um, that, uh, yeah, that we, we really hear um, God's God's voice this morning um, because he loves us and he cares for us and he wants the best for us. Um, so, yeah, let's pray and just take a moment to say, God, uh, your will be done this morning in our lives. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that at times it's uh, deeply encouraging and reassuring and at times it challenges us. And sometimes that is all mixed together in one. And uh, we we pray this morning that as we sit with what we've just read and heard and unpack it a little bit, uh, that our hearts would be open to how you would want to uh, shape our lives how you would want to lead us by your Holy Spirit, how you make us more like Jesus as his disciples and uh, how the gospel would really be the defining message and force and uh, truth in our lives as followers of Jesus that we would live as believers in all circumstances, letting what you have to say to us shape everything we do and say. We commit ourselves to you this morning, Lord Jesus, and we ask that you would that you would speak to us, yeah, and that we, we would hear the heart of the Father for us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we're uh, we're close to the the halfway mark of this letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. Um, so far in this letter, Paul's been addressing various issues, behavioural things that he's been hearing about that's going on in Corinth in the church. And um, some of it he's had to come down quite firm on them because they're way out of line. This chapter begins, though, with the words, Now for the matters you wrote about. So the context there is that there's been an exchange of letters going on. Paul's written to them, they've written back to him, now he's written back to them in response to their letter. So it's the third in a, sort of an exchange. And um, and so the tone shifts a little bit. It's far less combative in this chapter chap, because he's not just addressing stuff he's hearing about, he's answering genuine questions they have. But that being said, it's all through the letter, it never really gets to this kind of gentle pastoral exchange. Oh, I hear about this, they say, commending you for that, and maybe here's some advice on this. It's still quite firm through the whole letter because even with what they've written to him, much of it... That Paul has to address is, is an, uh, one issue or another that's shaped by their theology, um, or as Gordon Fee, one scholar puts it, their theology of spirits, where, where they have this heavy emphasis on wisdom and knowledge, or Sophia in the Greek, divine wisdom, as um, I've talked about in previous weeks. And, and this all kind of leads them to this why can't we kind of attitude? Why can't we? Why can't we? Why can't we? Why can't we? On all sorts of issues, sexuality and, and food and, and, and all other things. So, the example, one example that, that is in the background in this chapter is the, the so called eschatological women, uh, is the sort of the nickname given. And bear with me on that. What, what that means is, in, so in that culture, women did not have equal standing with men, um, they were, were not seen as having the same equal value and worth in that culture. But now in Christ, um, and Paul has been preaching and teaching that they're raised neither neither male nor female, slave nor free, Greek, 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 Greek nor Jew, um, meaning that they are equal now. And so this is wonderfully freeing for the women now that in God's eyes and to the way they treat each other, we treat each other as equals. This is, um, this is wonderful news for them. They're also learning that in Christ, those who are in Christ will be resurrected as Jesus was resurrected. But into that Belief they've brought in some Hellenistic thinking, some Greek thinking from their culture, and, and basically they're taking this to mean we've already been kind of elevated spiritually, we've already been resurrected, uh, we're, we're experienced the resurrection of the dead, um, we're now in spirit, we're like we're as the angels, and so marriage is now void. Because think back to Luke 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 35, Jesus is saying, uh, don't you understand that in the resurrection, people will neither be married nor given in marriage, and so they're going, well, we're already there. So some of these women have taken this to mean, uh, 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 if if we're married, there's certainly no obligation for sexual relations anymore, and if that's being pushed on us, surely it's acceptable to divorce, and he can go deal with his needs elsewhere. That's what's going on in the background. Then, to put it bluntly, the men are going, uh, what about us? Right? And, and it's part of the reason, Paul says, that they, these men are then going to women outside of marriage, committing adultery, going to prostitutes. Now, to be very, 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 very clear, and Paul makes it clear in the chapter last week, that is no excuse Men cannot say and should not say, well, she's not meeting my needs, so I need to find them somewhere else. But what this whole section again reiterates is that Christians don't just have their sex drives dissolve when they receive the Holy Spirit. It's a very real part of us, a very important part of us. And Paul addresses all of this without negating The wonderful truth of women now being equals with men in God's eyes and the way they treat one another. But also without yielding to their position, the women's position, on throwing out marriage, throwing out sexual relations within marriage or advocating for divorce. He does, he's not siding with the men, he's not siding with the women, he, he switches between addressing the men and the women and the married and the unmarried and those in this circumstance and that circumstance all through these passages, all with a gentle approach, a, f- a firm approach where needed, but a pastoral approach. And it all has this grounding motivation. Our approach to sexuality, and in particular our approach to marriage, but not only that, is, sh- is to be shaped by the scriptures and by the gospel. Again, their question, their question is often, why can't we? Why isn't this permissible? His question is, what serves and glorifies Jesus and the gospel? That's the, the perspective he's coming from. Um, Christians have been notoriously good at putting rules in place in certain things, especially in this area. right? Sometimes with pure, good intentions, but with no explanation of why we might have certain boundaries. It's just kind of like, well, just go do this, fit within that. Box and then you, you know, that's what God wants for you. My hope today is that we will see how approaching sexuality in marriage through the lens of the gospel and the Bible brings about immense good for those, uh, for us, and for those around us. What's what's our reality? In even in this room today, in in uh, for those who are watching online this morning, uh, what, what is our reality right now? Well, even in this room. There are some of us with healthy marriages, some of us with unhealthy marriages, some who have lost spouses, some who have been divorced, Christians who are married to unbelievers, singles, uh, those who are engaged, those who were engaged, and it didn't work, the whole spectrum. And and I, as I said before, I want to recognize this, this whole area, this whole topic, this whole issue, there's a huge amount of emotion attached to it. Um this is very, very personal. Um, and believe me, I feel this as much as you do sitting in the seats today. It's very personal. It's very deep. It's very private sometimes. Um, and as a result, many of you would have grown up in a church setting where you just don't talk about it in church. This doesn't come up, or in small groups, or in relationship with your Christian friends. Um, uh, or if it is talked about, it can... It It might have been very blunt. It's just like, well, here's what God says. Here's the, and then so just you know do that, and it'll go well for you, kind of thing, with no real unpacking of of the why behind it. And for that reason, because it's either not talked about, but in the reality of your marriage or your relationships or being a single person or whatever, um, you've experienced some pain. Maybe more than some pain. Maybe a lot of pain when it comes to uh, navigating this world and your sexuality. Um, some of us, if, if we're honest, have been the cause of that pain. Um, and so it's, I just think it's so important to recognize this that this, this can be deep, this can really be a, a, a deeply Im- impacting and, and painful thing in our lives. Um, what Paul isn't doing is he's not just going, well, here's some blanket rules do this, do this, don't do this. Uh, there are some circumstances where he says there's a clear stance needed, but what he, what he's not doing is just boom, 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 boom. He's, what he is doing is rooting marriage, its meaning, its purpose, and our approach to it in the Bible and in the gospel so that marriages and those who are not married can experience and express their sexuality in the way God designed it and ensure it's enjoyed where possible but not worshipped. And and that's that's... Um, something we'll kind of come back to a little bit later. It's, it's, not, it's not to be worshipped, but to enjoy it as a gift where possible. Um, so I'm going to take a little bit of a look at Jesus and Paul and the Bible and how, how this is talked about. In the previous chapter, Paul quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. So he's in the previous chapter, if you remember from last week, he's saying, don't unite yourself with a prostitute. That's Something we'd, we'd probably most of us here would hold as a fairly standard, moral standard, that we, this is something we should not do. And he's saying the reason, you, you know, to become one. You become one flesh. You unite yourself with someone when you have sexual relations. Now, when in that context you're quoting a verse from the Old Testament, Jesus or Paul, whoever it might be, What you're not doing is just quoting the verse because it's a good thing to say. You're actually referring to the whole section of Scripture that that verse sits within. So as another example, Jesus on the cross, one of the things he says is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a quote, direct quote from Psalm 22. What Jesus is not doing is just going, I know that verse in the Bible, in his Bible, the Old Testament, and that's how I feel right now, so I think I'll say it. He's actually referring to Psalm 22 as a whole to explain and to say this is what's happening in this moment. And, and go read that and you go, oh, that brings, sheds some light on, what, on what's happening with Jesus on the cross. So that, that's one example. This is similar. Paul is referring to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, where God says, not good for the man to be alone. He creates women. They come together as one. Um, so... When when he's quoting a verse, he's referring to that whole section. And Genesis chapter 2 is pre-fall, meaning Paul is upholding. So it's before Genesis 2 is before sin has entered the world and, and broken the relationship between God and human beings and human beings between each other. Paul, therefore, is upholding marriage, the union of a man and a woman, as a good and wonderful thing that God has created. Not just something God's gone, oh, well, now that they're sinful, I'll I'll allow this to be in place. He's not defining marriage through the lens of the fall. Like, you know, we've got all these issues now, we'd better look at it differently. And so it's to be held and understood as a good and holy thing God creates. But then we need to approach it with a recognition that we do have sinful desires, whether you're married or whether you're not married. Um, and so this is how Paul then uh, goes about the passage. So first circumstance, if you're married, serve one another. How? Love one another and, and, and serve one another in marriage in a way that minimalizes the possibilities of temptation and sexual sin becoming a problem. So give yourself to one another sexually in marriage, um, except if it's for prayer for a time and then come back together after that so you won't be tempted. Now, this is very easy for men to give an amen to, and to abuse if we're if we're honest, men in particular, maybe women as well, and it's it can be easy then. On the other hand, for women in particular to scoff at, Ugh, you know, but what's the motivation? What's the motivation behind this? The motivation Paul has is honouring what God has created and treasuring it as good and holy. And not falling back, not risking falling back into the situation of Genesis 3, where sin causes brokenness and pain for you and others. The second circumstance that Paul talks about is if you're not married. If you're not married, recognize... And and later in 1 Corinthians 7, which we read today, the the part that we didn't get to, he talks more to those who are not married. He says basically recognize that marriage is a wonderful gift. It's legitimate, a beautiful expression of... Of your desire for sexual intimacy, but it's not above relationship with God Himself. And this is where it's not just Paul's Bible, the Old Testament, uh, that shapes our approach. It's also the gospel that's shaping our approach. You now have unhindered access to God through Jesus, together with a calling to bring that good news to others. If marriage helps you and others with this, go for it. If it doesn't, you have everything you need in Jesus to be fulfilled and live for God. And then the third circumstance is in relation to divorce and separation. He basically says, fight to protect the good thing God has created in marriage, even if your spouse doesn't recognize that it's God's gift because they're not a believer, because what's most important is their salvation. Now, I want to stop for a second and recognize that it's easy to look at Paul's approach all of these things in our context, and think, man, these views are extreme. Does anybody feel like that just initially reading it? Uh, maybe you don't want to admit it, but it's, it's like, oh, I mean, does, does he live in reality here? Or maybe you think, well, clearly as a single guy, he doesn't understand the complexities of relationships and marriage. But let's think for a second about who appointed Paul, To be the primary apostle, to bring the gospel to the nations, to to start churches, write these letters which would become scripture. Who appointed Paul? The resurrected, ascended, glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus. Appointed Paul. And what does Jesus say about all of this? Well, it's the same. Jesus, where does Jesus point to as his understanding of the union of a man and woman of of marriage? Genesis 2, exactly the same thing. Luke chapter 19, some people are saying, well, Moses said we could get divorced if this, 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 this. And Jesus does exactly what Paul does before Paul did it. He quotes Genesis 2, word for word. You know what else he does? He quotes Genesis 1, word for word, in the same uh, narrative. Genesis 1 is the bit where it says um, uh, God created them men and women, man, men and women. Um, so Jesus is pointing to the same reference point when you say this is what marriage is about, as Paul was. But he also recognizes that some, because of birth conditions, some, because of the uh, hurtful actions of others, some, by their own choice to serve God, will not get married. And some will experience great difficulty within it. You can read Luke 19, read about that whole discourse. The issue is not brushed over by Jesus or Paul. Just like, well, here's the bottom line, you know, just stick with that. Here's Eugene Peterson's translation of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 19. Not everyone is mature enough to live a married life. It requires certain aptitude and grace. Marriage isn't for everyone. Now, it, uh, my experience in the church has been that Christians can be the worst in pressuring others. That, you know, you're know, you 20 years old, let's find you a spouse, right? But there's a pressure on this. And indeed, things can be messy and painful in the context of our culture and the pressures of a hyper-sexualized culture can make it, this whole thing so rough, rough. But Jesus doesn't then say, he recognizes this, this hard reality, but then he doesn't say, actually, that's a good point, let's shift the goalpost. He says, yep, it's really, I'm paraphrasing here, yeah, it's really tough, considering all your flaws, to really enjoy this gift as it was meant to be, and some won't even get to, but it's still in place as it was meant to be. A man and a woman committed exclusively to one another sexually in union, that I think that the primary issue when we address topics like this, which are really, really tough, especially in the context of the culture we live in, um, the primary issue, I think, is do we believe God's ways laid out for us are best or not? The Corinthians had this, like, why can't we attitude? Isn't this permissible? Rather than an attitude of what's God's plan and why might that be best for, for me and for others? Um, and, I, and I think a, a primary question that is so important for us to ask is who is God in our eyes? Who is the Father uh, in our eyes? Father God. Is God a divine rulemaker for you? Intricately involved in all of your business, stopping everything fun. You can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. Some of us had a father or a mother like that. And so we project that naturally or subconsciously, we project that onto God. On the other hand, is God to you a distracted, carefree parent who's kind of says, go have fun, kids, and if it seems like it's not a good idea, just maybe see if you can occupy yourself some other way, but I trust you, you know, just just go for it, have, do what you think's best. Because some of us had parents like that, and so we project that kind of attitude and, and, and heart onto God. Or... Is God a loving father who's actually created boundaries that we don't fully understand sometimes, but are in place for our benefit? Not always catching us when we fall, because sometimes we need to learn. Uh, but doing everything he can to protect us from serious injury or death because he loves us. That's what a father would do. As I was preparing this particular part of the message, I was actually at home. And I heard Josiah, who's our two-year-old, just start screaming like, ah, tantrum. And okay, what's going on? So I went into his room, and Karen's there with him, kind of hugging him, t- talking to him, and he's just full on tantrum. And I said, what, what happened? And Karen, Karen said he was trying to plug stuff into the PowerPoint in the wall. So she's had to tell him, no, we don't do that. And he's just gone... Ballistic, like you know, uh, why you know, and, uh, just tantruming because he doesn't understand. He's like, well, why can't I do that? And he's in that phase right now. And I just thought, oh, isn't is this a picture of sometimes, uh, especially early in our faith, the way the way we might be and that we just we don't understand that God has put certain things boundaries in place which are for our benefit. And as we grow, we recognize, okay, now we see why they are in place because that can cause serious harm. This God that we get to have a relationship with through Jesus, this Heavenly Father, both knows the effects of sin or living outside of the boundaries He's defined and created, and this God, our Father, comes to us with extravagant grace and mercy. Every single one of us has messed this up in some way. Right? But shifting the goalposts. Lowering the bar is not the answer. Shifting the goalpost is not the answer. But, but also what's not the answer is shame. Shame and, and, and guilt, that, that isn't the answer either. To just feel terrible for what we've done or not done. The answer is forgiveness, healing and change in the arms of the Father. Even if at times it's kicking and screaming like Josiah in Karen's arms the other day <laughs> because we don't understand. The answer is forgiveness and healing and ultimately change so we know what's good and pure and honourable and best in the arms of the Father. I'm um, I'm three months away, uh, about today I think, from becoming a dad to my first daughter. Um, whoever that was the surprise, it means you didn't read the letter I sent out a little while ago, so make sure you check your email. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't know where Uh yeah, so three, about three months from today, October 31st, Karen and I are expecting a girl. And I'm honestly super, super, super excited. I actually I consider it a massive, massive privilege. Uh, we have two boys. That's be our first daughter. Um, and, and when I say first daughter, I mean probably only daughter. Don't read into that too much. <laughs> right, probably done. Um, <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really excited. I'm also quite petrified by the whole... Uh, you know, all of the learning and all of the experience that this will be. Most, um, but most of all, I honestly have this feel, this love that's different to the love for my boys because I know that she'll be vulnerable in ways my boys won't be in this world and, and the way it is um, in, because of all this stuff we've been talking about. But then with my boys in particular... I'm also aware that their actions will have a significant impact on others. Someone else's daughter will experience pain if I don't teach my boys how to approach their sexuality in light of the Bible and the gospel. And so as a father now, of, um, especially as a father of both sons and a daughter, I want them to experience and practice their sexuality in a way, in the way intended by God for both their sake and for the sake of others. It's not one or the other; it's both. If that's the case for me, and maybe for you as well, how much more is this true of our heavenly Father, who cares for both you and cares for those that your actions have an impact on, and your kids' actions, etc. But the thing—the thing, the thing is—it's not only at a spirit, a physical or emotional level with God and the ones He cares about; it's also at a spiritual level that there's an impact. So there's Genesis 1 and 2 that Paul and Jesus both root their understanding of marriage in. But then there's also this new reality of the New Testament, the New Covenant, the the good news of the kingdom of God has come near to us. There's this also. And God has appointed us to deliver this good news to others. What's a few elements of this good news? Well, it's good news that he's restoring the reality of Genesis 1 and 2, the perfect creation. That's what God is doing, and it's good news. He's bringing back, slowly but surely, the garden. Good creation, perfect creation. It's good news that there's help available through the Holy Spirit to live in a way that 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 good creation, that perfect creation, becomes a reality in our lives. That's good news. It's good news also that despite the fact that this is not fully realized yet, there will be hardships that exist for a time and a struggle with the flesh and a struggle between these two kingdoms, that sometimes that will feel overwhelming, but Jesus is coming back soon and will finally and fully restore all things back to the way they were meant to be. So there's a hope we have as well. And it's good news that in the meantime, in a personal relationship with Jesus, all the meaning and love and attention you were looking for in a marriage or a sexual relationship or any other kind of relationship is found in him. And this good news, if we believe it, it shapes our marriage or our singleness because now relationships are not something we go to for our identity. Jesus is. Jesus is the one we go to Our identity. I know this is so hard sometimes to grasp because this is such a personal and strong uh, uh, way we're wired, but Jesus is the only one who can give us our identity. And the stewardship of our sexuality is no longer just something that affects others physically or emotionally, although it does. It may also lead to their salvation, which is why we see Paul writing about that in a number of places in this chapter. Because we show others, in the way we approach sex and relationships, we show others the one they've actually been looking for all along. Whatever you've done, however you've failed in this area, you can run to the arms of the Father today and every day for forgiveness, for healing, for restoration. And from this day forward, the way you approach your sexuality your marriage, your singleness, your engagement, the use of your eyes, your thought life. May this be a testimony that only Jesus satisfies. Amen. Father, I want to pray this morning that you would pour out your grace and your mercy upon those of us who feel like failures in this this morning. Um, Lord, there's so much complexity, so much uh, beauty, but also challenge in this whole area. You have created us, Lord, to be uh, sexual beings and and people who want to relate deeply with other human beings beyond just uh, our sexuality. And so this means there's great joy to be found in relationships of all kinds, but also great pain sometimes. But Lord, we pray we wouldn't shift the goalposts away and say, well, let's, let's have a different standard by which we treat marriage and sexuality, but, but Lord, that we would go first to you, Jesus, the one who understands, the one who cares, and the one who forgives us when we mess up, so that we may experience joy in your plan for our life the way you designed us to be and what you have for us in this area. Lord, I want to commit to, our, to you, our young people, who are navigating a world right now uh, which is different even to what I experienced and certainly to what um, my parents and grandparents' generations experience. a hypersexualized culture where they are constantly receiving messages that say to them something other than the truth of God's word. I pray you would protect them. I pray you would protect their minds. I pray you would protect their bodies. I pray you would protect their hearts. And Father, show them, use us to show them as well that their identity is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. We pray for uh, those who are yet to be born, uh, those who are young right now and have not yet uh, had their eyes open to the reality of everything around them. We pray, Father, that you would uh, raise up people uh, to, in, in the technological sphere, Lord, to help put in place things which are going to protect our kids from that which could, can so affect and damage them. And Father, we give ourselves to you and we pray that we would recognize that this starts with us. Lord, that you would use us first and foremost to be a testimony and a witness. To how basing our identity on you and you alone can show others uh, that you are the one in whom uh, who satisfies all things. You are the one that uh, that that others are looking for. We pray all these things in your name. All God's people said, "Amen."